I'd like to introduce our panel tonight. If you were at the last session, you'll recognise Jane Eyre, a.k.a. Rebecca Vaughan. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what an amazing performance it was. Um, in her capacity as actor, writer and theatre maker, Rebecca has, not so subtly, woven her love of the Gothic into her work, with three of her seven solo shows being goth-tastic. Fun goth fact, in her teenage years, wearing an appropriately wafty dress, she and her friend would regularly visit castles. This is what we can't do here, you see. <laughs> Imagining themselves romantic heroines about to meet heroes and villains. Very sad. Very sad. <laughs> uh, it never quite worked out as planned, but they got to run up and down lots of spiral staircases. <laughs> stone steps is the way forward. <laughs> Love a stone step. But the most gothic of all facts about Rebecca is that her great uncle is hammer horror regular Peter Cushing. Oh, that's made me really happy. I was thinking, I don't know, maybe people aren't excited by that. But no, I, I'm we really love him, Mahara. This is very cool. Not okay. to mention he was in Star Wars. And well. he was in Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, okay, this is cool. Um, next to Rebecca is Karen Healy. Karen Healy is a nerd. She doesn't mind me saying that. She's an English teacher, and she's currently a full-time writer in residence at the University of Canterbury. Her goth fact is that she did not read a single Bronte novel until she was 29, which means she was twice as old as the optimal age to read, first read Wuthering Heights. But she says that Valette is better. So maybe we'll I'm argue about sale. that yeah. later. <laughs> <laughs> um, next we have Moata Tamaira. Moata is a librarian, award-winning blogger, and probable Twitter addict. She once made a pilgrimage to the Bronte Parsonage at Harworth, on the way, she got out of the car and ran about the moors yelling, Heathcliff! <laughs> Less romantic than it sounds due to it being broad daylight and all the sheep dung underfoot. <laughs> now, I've also been to Harworth. Have, have you been to Harworth? I've been to the moors, but not to Harworth, no. You've been to Harworth? I've been to yeah. Harworth, yeah. I think it's a little bit of a rite of passage for, oh, for yeah. geeky, booky girls. <laughs> have you heard about what they point. do at Christmas? They do a thing called... Uh, Scroggling the holly. Oh, and it's brilliant already. <laughs> yeah, it's great, and it's it's kind of it's really kind of pagan. It's really old, really old, and uh, it's the I think it's the first weekend of December, and um, a child, it, the equivalent of kind of like a May Queen, is is Ooh. is chosen, and, uh, and yeah, a girl is sort of her head is covered with holly, and she's you know the whole procession, and it's all about yeah. entering the, the, the spirit of Christmas, entering Howard. Okay, and then yeah. she's ritually sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guess? No, and they Alas, build a big wicker man. A little bit more tame. A little bit more tame. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm just to introduce myself. I'm Rachel King. I'm the program director of Word Christchurch, the lover of cabinets of curiosities and macabre medical exhibits, um, and I'm also a devotee of dark Victorian literature. So much that I wrote my own version a few years ago called Magpie Hall. Um, now, I think to start off with tonight, we might just have a little discussion about what we mean by Gothic. Mm. Um, because we do have the traditional Gothic literature of the 18th century, of which, from which everything has kind of come. But I think it's come to mean a lot of different things to different people over over the years. So I wonder, Karen, if you might start, because you've actually read some of those original. I have, yeah, or, or rather I read, so Anne Radcliffe, um, astonishing writer, much admired by Jane Austen, and when I say astonishing, I don't mean good, <laughs> because 
some of her work, you read it and you're fascinated because you're like, how much drama can you pack into one book? And it's, it's a lot. Um, but it's kind of like, for modern readers, it's kind of like reading Victor Hugo. Like when you read um, Lamers, you don't want to read the bits where he's talking about the sewers. The same way when you're reading Anne Radcliffe, in between like Italian brigands kidnapping heiresses to marry them and and like aunts who maybe aren't your aunts and maybe had an affair and, and fair young men who share your appreciation for the sublime nature of nature and poetry. <laughs> There's like 50 pages of Italian countryside, and then you get like four pages of drama, drama, 50 more pages of Italian countryside. So it's really, it's good skip material, and if you're a Project Gutenberg devotee, as I am, um, it's, it's wonderful to have on your phone for like long bus rides. But the essence of that Gothic, the thing that people thrill to when they talk about Gothic literature is all about the danger mm -hmm. and the uncanny. Is it supernatural? Is it not? Um, and to me, really good Gothic literature doesn't answer that question. Right. It, it doesn't make it clear to you. Um, so Jamie's voice in the night. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where did it come yeah. From? Yeah. Yeah. It, it might be supernatural and then often turns out not to be supernatural. There's often a, a very practical reason yeah, for, for Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo, yeah. exactly. The Scooby Doo, yeah. It's atmosphere, isn't it? Yes. All about atmosphere. But I love yeah. the Red Room as well at the beginning. Oh I, my gosh. You know, when I was a kid, I, I was convinced that it was, you know, there was actually a supernatural presence in that room. It mm. was. Uh, well, this is it, isn't yeah. it? Is, it? is it in her head? Is it, you know, how far does it go? Exactly yeah, this. Yeah. And that's, it's so interesting. Yeah. And Definitely. it comes from a world where the supernatural was kind of uh, accepted, at least in the, the idea that there was some kind of supernatural presence watching over you and you had to be good or you'd go to the naughty place. Um, so I think maybe it's a little closer to that idea of, well, if there's a God and if there are angels and if there's a devil who is deliberately trying to catch people's souls... Why shouldn't there be witches and witchcraft and strange apparitions? Mm -hmm. I think it's really, yeah. yeah so, Moata, what, what are the things you love about the Gothic? Well, it, you know, I grew up here in Christchurch, in Limwood, um, and it's not very much like what you get in <laughs> Gothic novels. So there's that whole escapist mm. thing. There's ancient ruins. I mean, you see a few of those now. And then I was growing up. <laughs> uh, just people living lives that just completely different and removed mm -hmm. from my experience. And there's just there's the you know the protagonist, the the young woman who is you know she's put into a situation and she just has to come through it somehow. Mm -hmm. And there's always this, like the dodgy love interest. Like is he? You know, it plays on those sort of fears that you have, you know, when you're a teenager and this sort of stuff appeals to you, mm. i.e. The, yeah. the, the correct age to read Wuthering Like the older guy who knows more that, than you. You know, yeah. you, you are ambivalent about that whole, you know, part of life that you, you want to move into but you're so scared of. Mm. So you get to play both of those. You get the, the you know, it's a great romantic figure, but also maybe he's trying to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Maybe he's possessed or maybe <laughs> well, he's got a yeah. mad wife in the attic. It's interesting what you say about the, the thing about age because I was 17 when I started reading, um, you know, Tessa the D'Urbervilles. Mm. I, I clutched that book to my heart and I strode around in petticoats when I was 17. <laughs> Didn't we all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so one of my favourite books is Northanger Abbey. Mm. 
Jane Austen's book, um, which was not, it was not the last book that she wrote, but it was the last one to be published, I believe. So Catherine Morland, who is in that, is obsessed with gothic novels and how basically people are telling her that they'll, they'll rot her mind. Um, and she does start seeing gothic kind of plots in everything. But it's interesting, she's 17 in that book, mm -hmm. and it's almost like this has been going on for hundreds of years, that 17 is that, that kind of that perfect age yeah. to be and have this impression. And it's, it's, it's the sexuality of that, isn't it? It's oh, a, a, a woman who's absolutely, she's going from her kind of her teens into being a woman. And, uh, and, and the kind of, it's not just the, uh, the, the, the heroes and the villains, but it's the, the sexuality within the monster, both, you know, mm. both uh, in, in the men that she might meet, but also in herself. In mm. a lot of these gothic heroines, it's, it's you know, the, the struggle, uh, either the sexual struggle or... Uh, just, just the struggle of, of who you are and where you fit into society. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And so what are some of these tropes that we see in these Gothic novels? I mean, um, Catherine is convinced that, um, that you know, this, this family that she's met, that the husband has murdered the wife or has her locked up in a chamber somewhere. So there's definitely, you know, this thing of women being locked up, imprisoned, mm preferably in a tower, mm. um, you know, there's, are, are they, aren't they ghosts kind of things. What, but it what, happened, that was, I mean, yeah. that's, that's one of the fears, is that it was remarkably easy, especially if you were a peer or landed, to get your wife declared insane and take over her, like I think, I don't know, one of the heirs of Savage or something did that. Um, it was, yeah, you could, women didn't have particular rights, and so I think that to put that in fictional form is a way of facing some of that fear. Mm. Um, because a lot of the writers and the readers of these these novels were women who were, you know, most of the time they weren't probably in any danger of being abducted as heiresses. But, oh, what a little thrill. Mm. Wouldn't it be interesting? And yeah. do you think some of them might have been written actually as, as you know, politically to try and draw attention to the fact that women were... Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely, uh, especially there's a lot in the later periods, a lot of the short stories... Yeah. Um, uh, gothic short stories that are often dealing with the other uh, as a way of looking at the kind of domestic situation of that woman is the other as well as the supernatural you know it's yeah. about being confined so abs absolutely yeah mm. there's a definite parallel there now this gorgeous picture we have behind Highness you might not recognise this but it's actually Rebecca in that picture <laughs> um, with a and, really curly fringe <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of Rebecca's shows that she does is called Female Gothic um, yeah. and I wondered if you can just give us a little taste of what of, of what it's about and, yeah. who, and what you're exploring in that, because we would love to see it here one day. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Um, it's basically it came about because of my love of, uh, of gothic literature, and, and I was I was actually reading some M. R. James, and I was reading um, a, a really great uh, compendium of M. R. James. So much so that when it when I got to the end of it, I I did want it to finish and finished up reading the introduction. I didn't do it in the right order, and <laughs> uh, and in the introduction uh, by a brilliant uh, editor called Richard Dolby. And Richard Dolby has uh, uh, completely been, um, uh, he's a very important figure uh, in uh, bringing a lot of the female ghost stories from the Victorian Edwardian period back into print that were, um, when I was researching the show, completely out of print. And uh, I was reading this, this introduction for M.R. James, um, but it was saying that 85 to 90% of all Victorian and Edwardian ghost stories and tales of the macabre uh, were written by women. 
And I thought, well, this is interesting. Uh, well, I, don't, I, I don't know about this. Because, you know, you think, I, I think to myself, okay, it's M.R. James, it's H.P. Lovecraft, it's mm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe, it's, you know, I could, it's Dickens. Mm. You know, you could think of all these things, but I couldn't, I thought, I, I can't really think of that many women. So I kind of thought, right, I'm going to go and find out. <laughs> and uh, did significant amounts of research and spent a lot of time in the British Library and the Bodleian Library and, uh, in, in Oxford, and um, and of course discovered he was completely correct. <laughs> and um, uh, and what's really interesting is, I mean, I read probably about four hundred for the show, um, and there were there were more. Wow, yeah, um, a lot more. Uh, but what's interesting is a lot of the women were women that we think of uh, in other contexts. Mm. So uh, as writers, so for instance, um, E. Nesbitt. We think of her as a children's author, mm -hmm. um, uh, but actually, she, for, to her contemporaries, she was far, far better known as as a kind of an author of the macabre and, and uh -huh. gothic. Um, in fact, that was the main way she would earn earn, earn her bills. Mm -hmm. Earn her bills? That's not right. <laughs> earn her bills. It's been a long day. Uh, I've spoken too much already. Um, and uh, in fact, Dickens would, yeah, no, not Dickens. That was uh, that's the other person I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. But um, uh, but yeah, so she, I don't know, has anyone here read any of Enes Bitt's uh, ghost stories or short stories? There's a definite no. Uh, <laughs> you must. You really, really must. She, there's a, a brilliant. Um, thank you for that. Good, good. Uh, a great compendium called The Power of Darkness, and it's brilliant. It's dark. It's beautifully written and god that woman knows how to write a short story mm. and just just brilliant so uh, there's her there's another a contemporary of dickens um called m.e braddon who was almost as famous as dickens um she wrote 50 novels and uh, she wrote about 300 short stories uh, well, she I'm ashamed <laughs> yeah no exactly this is it it's ama amazing and she is the one that dickens would regularly employ to edit his um uh his sort of quarterly the uh, household words and uh she uh amazing writer uh, i think there's only really one of her novels which is now really still in um publication which is one called lady audley's secret which is again oh. yeah, oh. Oh. yeah. Uh, that which is quite a gothic novel um mm -hmm. but she wrote some brilliantly dark sh uh, stories so basically to sum up sorry i could oh, talk oh. about this phrase is that i just thought do you know what this is so interesting i want to spend some time putting a show together that is essentially taking, I, I finished up only using three, uh, three short stories, but I wanted to weave them together with a narrator with her own tale that runs. She mm -hmm. tells these tales and you really want to find out who she is as well. So I created this show of which that is a picture of. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, actually, because that went down so well, um, I realized that the Victorians and Edwardians actually saw um, ghost stories and, uh, uh, really as a very festive thing rather than a kind of Halloween-y thing. Mm -hmm. And which is why if you think about A Christmas Carol, um, is a, a Christmas ghost story, if you will, yeah. you know. And uh, when I was researching the show, I discovered there were absolutely loads of brilliant Christmas ones. So I finished up kind of going, you know what? It, it, obviously in Britain we have Panto all the time. And I was like, I think there should be a Christmas show for adults. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to write the show I would love to see. Mm -hmm. So I, I basically did a kind of a sister show to that uh, called... Uh, quite unimpressively, Christmas gothic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, which is the same kind of idea. Yeah. yeah it's... And is that also women writers? Or but is it... that's, that's a combination. So that's, yeah, that's a combination of male and female yeah, writers. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, maybe word Christchurch 2018, we might see I'd love, female I gothic. I would love <laughs> that show. It's a great show. Just to bring you back. The literary director of um, work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Please don't quote me on that, just in case. <laughs> um, so I guess a really big question, and one of the reasons we're all here, is I want to know who are your favourite heroines of 19th century literature and why? So, um, Karen, can we start with you? Oh, okay, not 19th, but um, Catherine Morland of yeah. Northanger Abbey. I think she's amazing. That was actually the first consciously gothic novel I ever read, and it's a parody, but it's a parody written with love and respect. Yep. And the reason that we know Henry is Catherine's soulmate is the point where he goes, if you don't read novels, you must be the stupidest person alive. <laughs> and you're like, yes, it's this guy. Um, because she's 17 and she's young and she's not supposed to be a heroine and she's thrust into what actually is a gothic plot mm -hmm. um, where there are all sorts of marriage allegiances and conspiracies going on around her. And she's oblivious to those. She doesn't actually pay any attention at all to the, the actual shenanigans because she's got this big fantasy of going to a, a decrepit abbey that's owned by her almost boyfriend and, and roaming around and maybe discovering a secret, which turns out to be like a laundry list. And it's just, it's just amazing because that's what 17 was to mm. me, or more like 15. Um, just being able to have that fantasy that the thing might still happen, mm. um, that there might, you know, now it's would you get your letter to Hogwarts? Mm. That idea that you could enter into the fantasy. But, of course, there's this short, sharp shock for her at the end where she has to actually think about what she's done. Mm. And to me that speaks really well to the power of story and to the power of fantasy um, and that it is powerful and you don't want to play with it unless you know what you're doing. Mm. And that's, I, I really love Catherine. She's mm. my favourite. And there's quite a bit of commentary by Jane Austen on the value of novels in that yes. book as well. And yeah. I, I was reading earlier today that um, because not very many of her letters survived from that period, that it was kind of, you know, this is actually a way to actually get her opinion on something mm. um, that was quite valued. Oh, she has another amazing line, which she puts in Catherine's mouth, where she talks about how history is so dull compared to novels, mm. because... There are so many men and hardly any women at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about Catherine, and I, you know, she's one of my favourites as well, is that the the guy that she chooses is is one of the least dodgy, disappointing, <laughs> you know, love interests in yeah. the Gothic yeah. canon. You know, he's he's actually a stand up guy. Yeah, he's funny and he's lovely and he reads. <laughs> yeah, and he hasn't got um wife in the attic and he's yeah. like lied to her yeah. about anything. Or pretended to be a gypsy. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when guys do that. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> they think we like that. I don't know. Actually, I love, speaking of being 17, it just reminds me that um, the heroine whose name escapes me right now of I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith yeah. is Cassandra. also 17. What's her name? Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassandra yes. Cassandra, of course. Mm. Great. Oh, great name. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll make that a kind of a, a de facto um, gothic because <laughs> she's in the castle and everything. So that's one of the rules. This is for 17? Yeah, yeah. 17. 17 and you're in a castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about you? What's your... Well, Catherine, I mean, Catherine, no. You're Karen. Yes. <laughs> Catherine was one of my faves, but um, predictably Jane Eyre, um, because she's smart and she has a really good sense of herself. Mm -hmm. She's not swayed really by other people. She, you know, she doubts herself from time to time, but um, at the end of the day, she she knows that she's worthy mm -hmm. and that she's worth something. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you don't always get that. Yeah. And it's, it's a very valuable lesson for a young lady to learn. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
We might come back to Jane but um, Rebecca, do you want to? Yeah, well, I, I kind of, I kind of got two. Well, one is is Jane because you know, especially <laughs> as I seem to be spending a lot of time with her. Because you are Jane, yeah, <laughs> uh, and she's endlessly fascinating. Mm. Um, I, I'm really interested in, in her in her journey, uh, and uh, again, those swings, those moments where when she's a child, she's so clear about who she is, um, and then essentially she through Helen. Uh, and her schooling, in some ways, that kind of beats it out of her, and then she becomes what society expects of her. And it's only when she she doesn't follow her really her own guts that things start to go wrong. When she you know when she leaves Rochester, and that and that really interesting pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. um, so no, I think I think so. But uh, in a kind of really weird way, um, I'd also like to pick a sort of a non-existent heroine. Okay. Um, I think. Uh, in that kind of sad way. It's when... you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Um, uh, uh, I was always obsessed when I was, like, it's, again, being a teenager and falling in love with this literature. Um, because I discovered there was a novel called Rebecca, uh, and obviously I was, I was called Rebecca, yeah. I was so excited about that, I thought I've got to read it. And, uh, and what was really interesting about, about that is I became really interested, not necessarily in the second Mrs. De Winter, mm -hmm. but in Rebecca. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by her, if you will, as a, a, a dead heroine who exerts so much power mm. right the way through. Mm. So in many ways, I think I, I'm going to vote for, um, for Rebecca because I, yeah, I just, I was, I was obsessed with that novel when I was growing up. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it, about the women who came before? Yes. I mean, that is yeah. actually quite a... A quite a classic trope in these um, Do you think in these that stories. It, it says something about the idea that men were supposed to come to their marriage sexually experienced, but but women weren't. Right. So maybe if you could yeah. demonise the first woman, right. um, that that made things a little easier. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, Bertha is treated horribly. Yeah. She's. Yeah. Yeah, it's really problematic. This guy yeah. who's like, I have brought my bastard love child from from Paris, but my wife was unfaithful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Double well, standard. Have we all read um, The Wide Saga So See by Jean Rees? Yeah. So, um, I mean, what do we make of Bertha, Jane, um, sorry, um, Charlotte Bronte's version of Bertha and then Jean Rees's version of Bertha? Well, Jean Rees's version is, it's from Bertha's point of view and you see the story through her eyes and Yes, she she has been made mad. Um, she has been hurt and and damaged. And one of the things she's been hurt by is white supremacy, mm. which is the Brontes are part of it. Um, the Brontes' description of anything that isn't white Protestant people, even though you know you can have some some leeway for like your Heathcliffs and your your Rochesters as not being particularly upright people. Mm. Um, it's it's very harsh. Even um, even in Villette, when when we're talking about not Belgium, um, it's all about how everybody is is saucy and all the girls are brats and it's mm. just yeah. But it's really very clear, I think, in some of the treatment of the heathen Indians, um, Gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah and Bertha, I think. Jean Reese's work is just, I mean, I love it as a scholar of fanfic as well, because it is mm. fanfiction. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a rewriting from a different point of view. <laughs> um, but I think it's just really necessary work mm. to do that with these figures of fantasy and these figures mm. that we think are huge and amazing to go, well, let's have a look at the other side of that. Yeah, you read Jane Eyre and you, you just accept 
Edward Rochester's version of events mm, is that, mm. well, that's obviously what happened, mm. even though, you know, you don't get to hear anything from Bertha. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's not always silent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, reading, reading like it, it's like, it's like as I say, it, it's, um, it's a tragedy. Mm. It's, so, it's mm. so sad, this lost potential. In a way, it's sort of, um, it parallels Jane Eyre a lot. You've got two women with very different stories, so... And that you know, and they come from difficult circumstances, and they have lots of challenges. But Jane's story ends very happily, and Bertha's ends terribly. Yeah. Just and mainly for the reason that you know you get the sense that if she hadn't married the person that she'd married, yeah. that she would have actually had a perfectly happy life, a great life. Yeah, yeah. and it, so in, in many ways, it's about being trapped. Mm. It's about how everyone is basically trapped in some in some ways by society. So Bertha's mm. trapped because she's forced into this marriage. Mm. Um, Jane is trapped by her class and uh, you know what she's allowed to do and her poverty mm. and her absolutely her poverty. Mm. And and what is interesting as as well on some level is that um, Rochester in some ways is also trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, that he. He, because of his class, he can't, he's not supposed to marry. Mm. You know, he's forced into marriage. And he doesn't necessarily want to marry Bertha either. Mm. either. And that's what mm. makes it exceptionally tragic, that both Bertha and Rochester are forced into this marriage that neither of them want to be in. Mm. And as a result, because of essentially white supremacy and because of the, the more, the social mores of the time, mm. everyone's just going to be really unhappy. Mm. It's interesting in, in Wired Saga, so they see it says that uh, her name's Antoine, Antoinette and... Bertha is the name that Rochester yeah yeah, yeah her absolutely with. brands her with yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so do you think do you think it can be read as a true prequel to Jane Eyre or do you think it needs to be treated as a separate work like does it give you insight into Rochester's character or do you think it's just one person's version of Rochester I'd I'd have to say I'd see them as separate things, no matter how, you know because they have to be in that kind of death of the author kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, they run alongside each other, I, I would mm. say, um, mm. but I'd be very open it's to. It's hard to reconcile the the Edward Rochester of Wide Tigers and Sea with the Edward Rochester of Jane Eyre. They, yeah. A lot of time has passed between the mm. two books, but it, mm. they just don't quite seem like the same person. But then I guess one is through you Jane's know, eyes, yeah, and, and yeah. she loves him almost immediately, so... Yeah. It's interesting that one of the reasons I ask is because um, when I was the writer-in-residence at Canterbury, which Karen is now, I um, I decided I was going to write this novel, Magpie Hall, which was full of um, Victorian literature and, and references to exactly these kinds of books. And I, I went and sat in on some stage three English lectures of, of Victorian literature. Um, and this very thing came up about Wide Saga SOC, and one of the students said... Um, well, I quite liked Rochester before when I read Jane Eyre, but now I don't like him at all. <laughs> um, and I sort of put my hand up and said, oh, but, you know, surely, you know, you can't necessarily read that as a definitive version of him and, you know, it's, it's not, well, not necessarily what Jane Eyre intended. Um, and the lecturer shot me down and he said, he said, no, no, this is, this is what Rochester is all about and, you know, we need to take this as, as just one part of the truth and... I was very confused by that. I, think I wrote I wrote an essay and I didn't get a very good mark for it. So. <laughs> Wait, while writer in residence, you wrote an essay for a class. Yeah, 
No, you know, um, <laughs> don't, don't feel any pressure there, Karen. I don't need to. <laughs> um, but because my character in my novel was doing a oh, master's in English, I thought I'm going to go back to university and do my try this academic thing. And then I remembered why I am not an academic <laughs> and I'm a novelist <laughs> instead because, yeah. Um, actually, the, the lecturer said to me that um, I had some good points um, to make, but... <laughs> But the writing was too um, readable. <laughs> you should put that as a blurb on your next that was novel. Brilliant. <laughs> Her writing is just far too readable. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, I'll never be an academic anyway. <laughs> um, how are we doing for time? I'm. So, I'm I have to apologise that we started a bit late. Um, I've just. We've just got a little bit of um, fun stuff to go with now, if you're ready. Um, so I have a little quiz no for the panellists. Um, <laughs> now, I've got, I've got a, uh, a couple of um, pictures, and I just would like you to see if you can identify them for, for me. Um, now, can you tell me which film this is and who the actors are? Is it? Um, Shh, you'll get your isn't turn. It, isn't it, Wuther it's oh, Wuthering, it's Wuthering Heights? Heights? Isn't it Wuthering Heights? Is it Rebecca? No. It's very misleading. Yeah, what's going on? That's, that's uh, that's Olivia, isn't it? That is Lawrence Olivia, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh. So who's that? It's not Merle Oberon or something. Yes, it's yeah, Merle hey. Oberon, yes. So, the film is... Anybody in the audience? Shout it out. Here's what it is. It's Wuthering Heights. Heights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. There we go. Yeah. There's the movie poster. Yeah, what is with those pearls? Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. Kathy and her pearls. Yeah. <laughs> Not really as well known. Hadn't, hadn't really pictured it myself. Um, and what about this one? My face not working. Click. We'll never know. And click. Here we go. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, oh, Timothy Dalton. <laughs> yeah, Timothy Dalton. It's James yeah. Bond. <laughs> well, that also and surely that also has to do with law. That also has to be Wuthering Heights, doesn't it? That is also Wuthering hey. Heights. <laughs> well, oh, he do. was he was in Rochester as well. He was. Huh. Of Jane Eyre. So yeah. he's just doing the rounds. Can anyone <laughs> name the actress who played Cassie? Um, I have no idea. It's a that very is. unflattering. Angle. I know. I'm <laughs> yeah, you the see the nose really well. Um. Anyone from the audience? Anyone shout it out? No, the oh. poor Anne Calder, the unknown oh, Anne no. Calder. Sorry, Anne. I think this is from the 1970s. I this do one. love him. He's great. Do I love him? Wow. He's a good actor. He's wow. A good actor. I'm trying to get it past your heads. Okay, here we go. Oh. oh. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> <laughs> now, what movie is this one? Uh, I'm going to go with Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Okay, and can you name the actors in that? That's uh, Ray Fiennes and very, that's Juliet Binoche. Very English, that's Juliet right. Binoche. Yes, the, the, the French... French Catherine. Mm. Um, I, I didn't. I, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't buy Ray Fiennes' Heathcliff no, at all, no. and his black He's... wig and his eyeliner. No. <laughs> <laughs> he was always blonde, wasn't he? I don't know. No, it's no, just not, that's not right. No, it's okay. not right. All right, I've got another one for you. <gasps> you got that other version. She says it's Wuthering Heights. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's it is, yes. I love okay. that. I love this version. Now, can anyone tell me what's unusual about this version, which I think is the most recent one, by, directed by Andrea Arnold? It doesn't... Oh, sorry. Is this, I don't want to jump is in. Is it the only one directed by a woman? Probably, yes. Okay, but that wasn't the unusual thing. It doesn't thing tell the whole story. It only goes Well, up. none of them really tell the whole story, No, but it, it actively stops. I like, think all of them do that. Do they all stop? They seem to... Because yeah, it anyway. stops basically, yeah, you don't get the, the whole... Right, right. The, the, the yeah. next saga with all... Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't get the well, children's do you generation? Know? No, I've it was, got it wasn't no it improvised? idea. It was local actors and they weren't, they weren't actors as kids. Does anyone else know what's interesting about this particular version? They cast a black actor as yeah. Heathcliff. Yeah, and he's amazing. <laughs> in fact, the, kid, the kids oh. yeah. in this are amazing. Oh. Um, so James Howson and Solomon Glaive play Heathcliff. And Kaya Scodelario and Shannon Bear play Catherine. Um, and the other interesting thing about it, it's all handheld cameras, and it's very shaky. If you go and see it, um, you might feel a little bit sick. <laughs> but it's beautiful. But, no, silence, I know. So I came it? away thinking it Love was it. like this is Wuthering Heights for the hipstamatic generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very beautifully shot, um, but very shaky and, and handheld. I had that sense where, you know, sometimes when the, the child actors are so good that when you suddenly suddenly sw swap and they become the adults, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, yeah. carry on. I, they, were, they, were less, yeah. they were less good. But it's interesting. So, so they cast this, this black actor as Heathcliff, but there was, no, there was nothing in the book that said that he couldn't be black. No. Because, um, you know, old Mr. Earnshaw goes to Liverpool, I think it is, and he comes back with this urchin, who I always suspect was his illegitimate son. Yes, that's always been my, yeah. my thing, too. I'm like, the only thing this thing needs is more incest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to town and came back with a small child. Uh, yeah, that's right. No problem. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and the fact that, um, you know, her, her brother Hindley is so vile towards Heathcliff. Mm. I mean, this could be one explanation as well. It was, you know, mm. he, was, he was racist. Yeah. And he, he gave him a horrible time. There and, was a lot and of it going around to, at the I time. mean, he's constantly called, uh, you know, dark and swarthy and a gypsy. Swarthy, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. And, I mean... Okay, so Wuthering Heights is, is one of my favourites, but it's always held up as the great romance. Oh! And it's so not romantic. It's, they're just vile, awful people. It's a psychological yeah. horror story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a revenge tale, really. Yeah. I mean, Heathcliff goes off for, was it 12 years or something? Isn't it? Well, six years, anyway. Um, and, I mean, one theory is that he goes off to America and fights in the Civil War. Hmm. Um, and then he comes back and he wants to wreak his revenge on, on the family. And, and whew, does he ever? Um, all right. Oh, hello, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me who this actor is and what movie he's in? <laughs> it's Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. And I'm going to go with The Wuthering Heights. Okay. So it's Tom Hardy looking a bit grumpy. A bit pensive. He's got resting oh. bitch face. He can't help okay. it. Oh, it's Tom Hardy again. Oh, no. Oh. Wow. Oh. He does look very young there, doesn't he? Oh. I, is it? Is oh, it? oh, it's Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. <laughs> this presentation is delightful. Tom Hardy looking... <clears throat> with an interesting fleece blanket on his arm. Slightly right. anxious yeah. with his holy jacket. Oh. It's Tom Hardy looking <laughs> sad <laughs> because Catherine's dead. <laughs> He just looks like he's had a hard night out and then he's yeah. rocked on home. Yeah. He 
He looks like he's gonna definitely dribble a little. She's like, sorry, this was she is actually dead in this scene. It's terribly morbid. Which is horribly. And of course, later on, he says, because you know he loves her so much. He says. Catherine Earnshaw, may you not rest as long as I am living. You said I killed you. Haunt me then. The murdered do haunt their murderers, I believe. I know that ghosts have wandered on earth. Be with me always. Take any form. Drive me mad. Only do not leave me in this abyss where I cannot find you. Oh, God, it is unutterable. I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my soul. Mm. Tom Hardy with a puppy. (laughs) That's actually, I, that quote started um, Sarah Reese Brennan's series, The Limburn Legacy, because she took that gothic idea of the soulmate, that Heathcliff and Catherine are soulmates, and she went, what would it be like if you had an actual soulmate and you could hear all of their thoughts? Oh. And she's like, that would be the worst thing in yeah. the world. <laughs> so that's, what, that's the premise of her, you know, there's a powerful family and he's part of it, but he's like an Ill- illegitimate son from an off union and, uh-huh. you know, all this kind of stuff. And, but the, the girl involved in it, they just think they're each other's imaginary friend until they're in an elevator together, and then they just don't want to be physically near each other right. at all because the actual physical actuality of your soulmate is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it all works but out. Anyway, well, anyway, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Sorry, puppy. So, what, this is not from any movie. This is just Tom Hardy cuddling a puppy. Because <laughs> <Yay. laughs> why not? <laughs> oh, um, hello, Fessy. Who's oh, this? Oh. <laughs> Well, it's it's the lovely, lovely Michael Fassbender. Yes, it is. Oh. Oh. And what film is he? And um. what character is he playing? <laughs> well, focus, focus. I think that might be Jane Eyre. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, Edward Rochester's so very ugly. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he's so. Yeah. Ugly. What a ring he's so ugly. Like, and they never make beast. him blind enough at the end, and they never really. Oh, um, oh I take it back. That way, it's quite hand. bad. <laughs> Really bringing up the ugly. So, okay, here's the question for you. Michael Fassbender. Oh, 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 oh. Or Dalton. Was that Dalton? Or Timothy Dalton as Rochester. I think Fassbender because he's... Yeah, well, that's hard though. I think Dalton's cheeky. Like I Timothy love Dalton. Timothy Dalton. I, I love like Timothy Dalton. I'm going to make you choose. Dalton. Can I have both? These are my reasons. One, Welsh. <laughs> Second, dimples. <laughs> In one I don't have a third because you need to have three points, but I only had those first two. But he was my first um, cinematic Edward Rochester. Oh, yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, he is Edward Who played Rochester. Jane Eyre when he was playing Rochester? Does anybody remember? What, the... Uh, Some very plain... The unknown what? actor? Fassbender. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and Anne Colt... No, not no. Anne Coulter. That's a terrible person. <laughs> I can picture her. Who was that um, this little... Uh, 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 oh, what's her name? I don't know. She's I can, can see her Woody face. Film. Oh, I can see. I can see her. I can't think of her name. Well, I don't know. That's why I was she's asking li- you. Oh. <laughs> she's, in, she's in that Woody Allen film, Sweet and Low Down. All right, so we've got one vote oh. for Michael Fassbender and one vote for Timothy Dalton. Karen, I'm going to go with Timothy Dalton. Yes. Who are you going for? He looks wry. Okay. Well, the answer to that question is you're wrong. It's Michael <laughs> Fassbender. Yes, <laughs> it's rigged. Yeah, he's good. He's good. All right, now we've got we're going to have a little bit more fun because um, we've we've been talking about the nineteenth century literature, and of course, you know, we've moved through Rebecca, and then we've seen some of these early films. But there was a really great revival of um, the whole uh, Gothic novel genre, um, especially in the nineteen sixties to seventies, I believe. Um, and here's a. 
Here's an example. Daughter of Darkness. Would by love Edwina protect Noon. her from the evil that stalked the ancient castle. I know. Would that nighty protect her from the cold night air? Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Bet she's barefoot. <laughs> now I'm just going to steal a quote from a um, a website called Women or oh, Gothic Gothic Romance Covers Women Who Run from Houses, <laughs> or more accurately, I think white women with great hair fleeing Gothic houses. With apologies to the pulp librarian on Twitter. Um, so about these books, this website says, combining the elements of both horror and romance, Gothic fiction's origin can be traced back to English author Horace Walpole, who I think we talked about, um, in his 1764 novel, The Castle of Otranto, subtitled A Gothic Story. This style of writing continued in the English Romantic period through the Victoria era, traveling to Germany, France, Russia, and other countries, up to the handful of modern-day works still being published. The name Gothic refers to the pseudo-medieval buildings in which the stories were set, and the images were carried over to the eerie covers to sell these scary love tales. A heyday for this genre were the books produced in the 1950s to 1970s, which almost always feature a terror-stricken woman in flowing gown, well, that's not a very flowing gown, running from a gloomy mansion or castle. A number of popular illustrators of the time did these covers over their careers, so I'm going to give credit where credit is due for these images that you're about to see. Um, we thank Victor Prezio, George Gross, Lou Marchetti, Robert McGuinness, Enrique Torres-Pratt, and other unknown artists. So this is Legacy of Terror. Dark joys and bitter memories welcome Elaine Sherrod to death in a seasonal fear, which I have no idea what that means. No. It's just words. It's just <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> Randomly. <laughs> Sexy, weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. That full moon is amazing. Oh, and the one lit window. The one, yes. one, one yeah. window. Oh, look, that, yeah. Now, this one, she just, she's not so much fleeing as just kind of going, I think I left my toothbrush in here somewhere. <laughs> Are we in your way? Can you see these enough? Was the ghost yeah. of a woman 20 years dead luring her to an evil fate? Definitely. Where is my toothbrush? <laughs> the embroidered sunset. Now, this is... What? This the is Joan Aiken, who's a very, very well-respected children's author. So, yeah, I, who Jenny, knew? Yeah. Is Joan Aiken. Isn't that the walls of Willoughby? Yes, 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 yes. isn't it? Frightened girl discovers that she is a fragile thread in a nightmare tapestry woven of deceit, revenge, and sudden death. Way to milk that metaphor. Just. <laughs> so, and all of them are... Oh, I think I left the light on in the attic again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've got a challenge for the panellists, as I'm going to show them some cover images, and I'm going to ask them to come up with a title and a synopsis oh, for a possible oh. novel that these images might be. So oh. I'm going to start with Moata. <laughs> what do you reckon? That is stunning. Um, okay, look at here. That is a really interesting ensemble she's got on. She's left okay. the light on in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's earth hour uh, and so all the lights are out except that somebody forgot they needed to take their contact lenses out so they just needed to put that bathroom light on for <laughs> just five minutes so it doesn't count. It's okay. Um, Okay, well, this is um, Anastasia Fassbender Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's been invited to a dinner uh, at a, a very fancy home in the Canterbury High Country that inexplicably looks like uh, a mansion, the mansion in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Mm. And I like this, 
southern Gothic thing, but it's not. It's here. It's in New Zealand. Um, and uh, she's she's gone into dinner uh, with various people that she knows. There's acquaintances of her family. Her family are down in their luck, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's very excited to be invited to dinner at this very fancy house. Um, but there are tensions. There are there are unspoken things going on between the people at the dinner table. And um, she becomes aware that you could cut the atmosphere with a with a knife, and eventually things need to be spoken, <laughs> and those things are about politics. Ooh. And she discovers that she is seated at a table full of members of the Act Party, <laughs> <laughs> and for that reason, she flees into the night. <laughs> She nice. seeks refuge by a demented tree and she <laughs> that strikes a strange resemblance to Gareth Morgan. And he calls out, Famo <laughs> fascists! Famo fascists! <laughs> and then she falls into a swing and um, I don't right. really know what happens to Do we have a title? She goes and votes in the election for somebody who's <laughs> not in either of those parties. Do we have a title? <laughs> the end. Um, oh, golly. Uh, Pre-election terror. Okay. <laughs> at the dinner table. All right, um, Karen. It does look like it has eyes. That tree, though, does. No, yeah, it really it does. does look like it's, it's got a eyes. Tree. That's, I, I don't think. Garrett, I don't think. I, I don't think we can follow this. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'm going to gay this up, Camille style. Um, okay, Camilla. Rather not Camille. Although there's also Camille. Okay, so this young woman, Heather Cliff. is a senior student at uh, St. Mary's Academy for Impoverished Ladies of Good Breeding. And she uh, is told on on the day that she is to to be thrown out into the streets to whatever fate awaits her, that she has an uncle of whom she has uh, never heard, uh, and he comes to take her away to Spindle House. Um, unfortunately, he's not actually her uncle. Mm-hmm. The uncle is a skeleton in a trunk in the locked attic, which she discovers by stealing the key from her drunken uncle as he lies snoring by the fire. And she's looking for a portrait of her dead mother who she's never seen and she's her tell is up there. But uh, when she opens the trunk, oh no, it is the body of her uncle and she recognises it because on one skeletal finger is a family ring. So she rushes from the house. Um, She cannot stay one minute longer. You can see the light in the attic is still on. She's not very energy conscious. Um, And as she wanders over the moonlit moors, she, uh, she wanders into the arms of another young woman also wandering the moors. Um, having fled a house? Having fled a house that's quite similar, <laughs> called <laughs> Diana de Vries, why not? Um, and they, they both fall into each other's arms in a, in, a passion, in a passion born from terror as lightning flickers in the, the clouded skies and the heavens themselves shower down upon them. And they have to huddle in a little cabin, but they're very wet. So they... (laughs) 
and this one blanket. So they huddle together, and in the morning, they discover that the cabin can be remade into a paradise cottage, Aww. and there they spend the rest of their days. It's a happy ending. Mm. Just before... What just, I want to know is, who's yeah. this guy? Oh, I, and, and more than anything... Can, going, but also, the light on! <laughs> <laughs> Come back! But also, Come if you back. look at the perspective of that, yeah. he's half the height of the house. <laughs> Which means it's a really little house. He's tall, dark, and mysterious. And she also looks a lot like Kate Moss. Here, right. She looks she like she needs to wait. I think it's like, the oh, ladies' room. It's all about the wonder bra. Okay, yeah. before, we, before we get to Rebecca, oh, is there anybody in the audience it. who's brave enough to have a go improvising one of these? Anybody? There must be some budding improv artists. In the, I'm not going to force you, but if anybody wants to tentatively raise their hand, <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give you another go after this, just in case you, you get some courage. Okay, Rebecca. I definitely can't follow that. These, that was very, very, very good. Oh, that's splendid. Oh, okay. Wow. Look at this. Oh, okay. The light in the attic is like one pixel. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, so uh, this is a story about uh, transformation. This is about a woman who generally, her, uh, since she's been growing up, obviously she's been growing up, uh, this is her family house, her family castle, and she's been growing up by the sea, and, uh, and she isn't actually, she isn't actually human. Oh. She, she's actually, in that way that, you know, with like a werewolf novel, it's about the discovering of that. Actually, what this is really about is the fact that she's a mermaid, uh -huh. uh, but she just doesn't know it and spends okay. most of her time, she, you know, transformational mermaid. It's not particularly, it's sort of half gothic, maybe. It's mergoth. Is that why her feet hurt all the time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, yes. A, it's a subsection, mergoth. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she doesn't really know she's a mermaid, but she's, she spends her afternoons and evenings, this twilight period, basically constantly looking out to sea, feeling some kind of general pull with the waves. Um, and uh, basically what happens is she, uh, she, has an uncle, of course, her parents are dead, so that's why she doesn't know. She has an uncle, a step-uncle, because of course, they're not genetically, you know, uh, they're, 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 you know uh, and, uh, and he uh, is sort of strangely attracted to her, but is really bothered by his attraction to her, so locks her in uh, one of the turrets of the castle. Uh, and in that turret is uh, a trunk, of course, and, uh, and she manages to jemmy the trunk open and discovers the bones, I'm sorry, it's going to be the bones, uh, of uh, either her mother or her father. Let's so go it's a fish, her, basically. And basically a fish, yes, exactly this. <laughs> exactly this. And, uh, and what we're seeing right now is her, uh, finally she manages to flee that turret, which is the light. So she's not fleeing from the light. That was where she was. And she manages to, you know, get, get herself down there. I don't quite know how uh, yet. Uh, and she can't, you can't actually see her legs or feet at all. No, that's, that's the I point. Think, yeah. 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 And, and there she is. And she's, we're just about to see her basically, you know, refine her destiny. Okay. I would write that yeah. story. Good. And that is, uh, that is, uh, that is called, uh, what's it called? I have no idea. Uh, it's called, uh, The Waiting uh, Waves. Uh, yeah, Waves of Destiny. Ooh. Waves of Destiny. <laughs> All right. Now, has anyone, has anyone got up the courage yet to do one? No. All right. All right. Well, m moving right along. In that case, I'm just going to scroll through some of the ones that you could have had if you were brave enough. <laughs> yes, but you could have won. Um, I think this one's quite beautiful, really. She's this amazing light on the face. It's like yeah. they constantly walk around with stage lighting. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. The moon's behind it. <laughs> I love this. This is this is the, the tree equivalent to the waves. This is a woman, yeah. you know. She's a nymph. She's, yeah, basically. Mm. A wood and again, the tree, is strangely, she, tree yeah. is strangely out of proportion to the human. I've got strange yeah. branches yeah. coming across my face. It's either about big humans or small humans. It's an awful lot of nightgowns. Mm. This is someone who went, I would like a nightgown the same colour as that cliff. Yeah. It's everything, the it's world. Everything, yeah. <laughs> um, and a tree is, that's going, me, me. This is one of my favourites. This is one of my favourites coming oh, yeah? up. It's, um, yeah. I think it's beautiful. Look at the colour. Yeah. Look at the colour of the as sky. As far as art goes, I think it's really lovely. Okay, now I found a little subgenre of these um, covers, which is southern bells fleeing Gothic <laughs> castles. <laughs> Brilliant. That castle is very... It's a dam. It's, um, like, it's kind of Spanish. Yeah. Uh, and another yeah, southern, it is. Another, it's Moorish. Another yeah, it southern, really is. southern belle fleeing a Gothic castle. Oh, that's Brilliant. a stunning dress. Oh, look at that. Look at that. 70s Gothic dresses. Yeah. <laughs> and this it. one's square dancing oh. fleeing a Gothic <laughs> castle. There's a raven. <laughs> do si do. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favourites. This is another subgenre. This is the women fleeing Gothic castles, Red Riding Hood edition. Oh. <laughs> what has she got? Is that like some blue flowers? In there? Yeah, it's it's some got some gyps off oh, And okay. But look at the house. It's very Swiss looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is, this is my favourite of all, which is women fleeing Gothic houses. Sound of Music edition. <gasps> Again, that is that is a crazy pile. That, look at that. That's like like a London mansion that's just been put on the cliff. <laughs> anyway, I, I if you if you like the art, you can go and find more just by googling, literally googling, women with great hair fleeing Gothic houses. <laughs> I feel like I want to put a gothic house and some fam fantastic hair behind that now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Lovely. we've just got, um, because we ran over time, uh, sorry, we started late, we're, just, we're, we're nearly out of time, but I just want to, um, I mean, there was, so, there was so much we could talk about. We didn't talk about the woman in white. We didn't talk <gasps> about the turn of the screw, which is a, another, you know, oh, yeah. woman gone before in a ghost story. Um, we didn't talk about Dracula. <laughs> I think we're going to have to have Gothic, Gothic yes. Women too at the next festival. <laughs> and 20th century stuff as well, modern stuff. Um, right. Well, yeah, yeah so, so I guess my last question is what, um, what do you think uh, is the modern equivalent of the Gothic novels of old? Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is because it's a woman in love with a monster um, and he's the monster that will never hurt her that desires her endlessly, that wants to, to, you know, take all of her blood because she smells so very delicious. Mm. But he restrains himself as a model of Puritanism and his family is wealthy as hell. And, you know, and there's this, because I don't think Stephanie Mayer was really thinking this through very clearly, the rival is a dark, animalistic creature. Mm. Um, and, yeah, but it's... It, feeds into those fantasies. I think that if you repress somebody in a society long enough, they're like, this is my fantasy. Mm. It's got the whole um, setting as well. It's yes. remote. She, you know, she's, she's, she lives with her mother at the beginning of the book and then yep. she moves away to a remote area. Because her mother really remarries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, The Woman in White was called the first sensation novel, wasn't mm. it? Um, and it was also the first detective novel, detective, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe... Twilight could be called the, the modern 
sensation of the yeah, novel. Sensational, yeah. Um, but speaking of women in white, has everybody read Fingersmith by Sarah Waters? Yeah. Has everyone read Fingersmith by Sarah Waters? It's fantastic. Amazing. It's like a retelling of the of the woman in white, but with lesbian overtones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and undertones. And, and, and undertones, <laughs> overtones, <laughs> middle tones. And Sarah, and Sarah Waters does amazing, I mean, like Affinity as well, another mm. amazing kind of gothic novel with that, the kind of ghostly overtones. And Little Stranger. The Little Stranger, Little Stranger which is amazing. one of my favourite novels Isn't of all time. It's the great? scariest ghost story you'll, oh, you'll ever read. I love set, that. It's set just after World War II, isn't it? Yeah. In a big house, and yeah, it's amazing. Um, and of course, um, Fingersmith has been has been made into a, I think it's a Korean film called yeah, The Handmaiden, it's great. which um, I have not seen, but I'm really keen to check out. Um, I was, or, sorry, I was just yeah, going to say, no. has anyone here seen? There's a film out at the moment uh, called Personal. It's just come out, maybe called Personal Shopper. Um, oh yes, with Kristen Kristen Stewart. Yes, and uh, I would say it, it occurred to me. I watched it literally on the plane coming over here about four days ago. And uh, I think it's really gothic mm. in the sense that you've got that, that sense of the supernatural, but I won't spoil anything, but it, it's like, is it her? Is it real? What, yeah. what is it? And about that, that kind of building this romance, that, that kind of uh, journey to find, you know, to, to let go of the past, to let go of fear. It's really good. And it's got murder. It's got everything yeah. in it. Uh -huh. But yeah. it's right. also, Personal it's shopper. really well written and, it's, yeah. she, and she's such a great actor. She so. really is. So, so that's yeah. an example of yeah, the, Personal the, shopper, the modern. Which doesn't sound very gothic mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> Um, and we didn't talk about Hammer Horror and the Sunday Horrors. Does everybody remember those? We used to stay up oh, oh, very late on a Sunday. Um, anyway, it's been really fun and the time's just flown by. And um, thank you for listening to our rantings and ravings about our favourite gothic things. Um, so I guess all we've got left is to um, ask you please to thank our panellists, Luata Tamara, Karen Healy and Rebecca Vaughan. And thank you so much for coming, everybody, and um, on such a um, spooky full moon night um, and for coming out so late on a Wednesday. And I also just like to point out that um, there's a UBS book stand at the back of the room that's selling a selection of the novels that we've been talking about tonight. So um, if you're inspired, go and grab one. The lit. It's Jamie <laughs> up to 11. <laughs> right. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>